Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Luke chapter 16. We're just kind of preaching a series of evangelistic messages through this story of the Bible that Jesus told, and uh, we're learning so much, and it's been, been encouraging uh, uh, to us. Motivational, if you will, just so that we uh, see all aspects of what Jesus was teaching in this true story of the Bible. Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 19. So once you found your place, would you stand with us for the reading of God's Word? We'll open in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin reading the Scriptures. And let's pray that God would speak to our hearts. I hope today that as you hear the message, I hope you're not thinking about how it fits somebody else's life. Don't make that mistake. You'll miss what God has for you. Listen to the message and think, Lord, how does this help me? And let God speak to you, if you will. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll begin right there in verse 19. Our Father, we love you today, and we thank you so much for the privilege to gather together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the local church. The Bible tells us, Lord, that it is a gift from you. And Lord, the way you've put all of this together benefits us so wonderfully well. And we thank you for the privilege to be a part of a local church family, to be able to gather and fellowship and uh, to experience this time together and the wonder of your word and the workings of your spirit. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we, that we behold at this moment. And we just ask that you take the scriptures today. Be our teacher and guide. We pray you'd speak to every heart. And Lord, use the message today to stir us, to move us, to motivate us. Show us what you'd have us do in response to what we hear today. And Lord, at the close of this service, I pray that we'll be ready to make the decision that you want us to make going into this coming week, whatever that might be. So we just ask you to show us, teach us, guide us. Lord, help us to do your will. Bless our time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also 
come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Wow. Last week, we talked about hell and its torments, part of what Jesus was teaching in this parable. Today, I want to look at Abraham and his response. And I want to preach a message I've entitled, The Testimony of Abraham. The Testimony of Abraham. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we look back on this story in the Bible, and I want to remind you that as we read this, remember, this is a true story. Not like some would claim that this is just a parable. By the way, what is a parable? Remember last week we said a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So if Jesus was trying to teach a parable that had a heavenly meaning, what do you suppose the meaning would be? It would be don't go to hell. Right? Watch out. Hey, there's a place you you want to avoid. The lesson would be the same, would it not? And so even if this were a parable, it would serve the same purpose. Yet we find that this is not just a parable, but actually a true story. We know that because in parables, the Lord Jesus never named a real person. If you study the parables, you'll bear that out. There was a certain man, always generalities. Never a specific person. Here, the Lord gives us the name of a real person, Lazarus. Now, he chooses not to name the rich man. There's several reasons for that. <clears throat> but he does tell us Lazarus' name. We'll not go into the, to the name theory at, at this point. It doesn't serve our message. But I want you to see, as we look into this second part of the message, as this rich man, who, the, the one who's being tormented in hell... As he cries out to Abraham, notice Abraham's response. And by the way, let me say this. The Bible says a lot about money. And the Bible says something about being wealthy. It also says some things about being poor. And nowhere in the Bible does it condemn either. Now, there are some passages in the scripture that do condemn some of the methods that people use to get money. Right? That's another study in itself. But it's not money itself that's bad. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. All right? It doesn't say money is evil. All right? It's, it's, only, it's only people's love for it and what they do with it that sometimes gets them in trouble. So money is a neutral object, like a house or a car or any other object. Money is the same. And it's not how much you have. It's what you do with it that really counts. In this case, we are happening to be looking at someone who was rich and someone who was poor, different ends of the spectrum. That aspect of their lives had nothing to do with their eternal destination. I want you to get that. There's no reference of that anywhere in the scriptures. Abraham does make an observation. You had great things in your life, and Lazarus had evil things to deal with. Now he is comforted and you're tormented. But that's all he says. Why does he say that? He says that because this rich man is now asking for Lazarus to leave the comforts of heaven or paradise 
and come to where he is, tormented in hell, to bring him some water. That's why Abraham makes that statement. Look, after all his life, he's now finally comforted. And you're asking him to leave that and come to you? Right? That's kind of the gist of that statement there. Right? But they didn't, they didn't earn their eternal destination by any means or money that they attained in this life. Look at verse 25, if you would. Look again. The Bible says in verse 24 that he cried and said, Father Abraham. But in verse 25 it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember. And he goes back and he speaks to him about some things that I want to share with you today. This is the testimony of Abraham. What is Abraham trying to teach this lost man who is now in hell? What's he saying to him? I believe, number one, I believe he's saying this, obviously, uh, about Lazarus and his uh, participation. He's saying this, those who end up in hell cannot leave. That's one of the things that we're learning, one of the theological things we're learning from Abraham as we read this true story of what happened to these two people. Abraham is teaching us a great truth. Look at it in verse 26. He said, and beside all this, between us and you. I tried to emphasize this a moment ago as we read our text. In verse 26, it says, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. You might just think of that as a stone wall. There's something that would stop anyone who would try to switch places, go from one to the other. It can't happen. So that tells me right there, this is a biblical uh, explanation, and it addresses the unbiblical thought that people have in life that, well, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not quite good enough to get to heaven, then I might go to this temporary place where my sins can be dissolved until I'm made ready good enough to go to heaven. There's no temporary place. The Bible doesn't teach that. All right? So in this story, we see both ends of eternity, where they lead. There's no middle ground. In the middle is the gulf fixed, the, the thing that no one can pass between. So if you teach that somebody's going to go to this middle place, even if, you, even if that were true, they can't get out once they're there, according to the Bible. So you and I need to be familiar enough with the truth of God's word that we're never led astray by some of the false ideas that are circulated in our world around us. There's a lot of people out there that don't read the Bible that think they know the Bible. Have you ever met one? <laughs> it's pretty hard to deal with them, isn't it? Because they'll tell you something so, you know, so adamantly. Oh, you know, the Bible says, and they'll spill off their little theory. And I'll say, wait a minute. The Bible don't say that. But here's the hard part. How do you show somebody where it isn't? You know, it's okay to show them where it is. Look, the Bible says this. But when someone claims something is in the Bible and it really isn't, you have nowhere to go to say, well, that's not... You just have to read the whole thing. It's not in there. Right? What we can read from this passage, though, tells us that 
the biblical explanation of eternity doesn't leave room for this middle place to burn off your sins. It's not in there. One or the other, you have to pick, right? One or the other. You're going to go into eternity with reservations. The default reservation is hell. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says we're condemned already in John 3, 18. We're condemned because we're in sin without Christ. So until the day we accept Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're lost in trespasses and sins. That's how it defines our state. And if we die in that state, we're dying without Christ. We're dying in our sins. And if you die in your sins and you die without Jesus, the Bible says you end up in hell. Not because God sent you there, but because you rejected, you did not accept the only one who could save you and forgive you of your sin. Right? A lot of stuff here. Beside us, beside all this, between us and you, verse 26, there is a great gulf fixed. Why is this in place? So that they which would pass from hence to you. Notice he mentions first people that would go from heaven into hell. Why? Why? Because when you care about people and somebody you know and love is in there, If you were allowed, absolutely, wouldn't you reach over and pull them out? But he said it's not possible. It can't happen. People cannot go from heaven into hell. Lazarus cannot bring your water. And here's why. There's a great gulf fixed. So that those who would, boy, they would do it. But they can't pass from here to there. God put that in place. Once you get into your eternal destination, there's no transfer. There's no change. That's settled. And he said, yes, Lazarus is here, but he cannot come to you. Notice the rich man could see into paradise, but there's no indication that they could see from paradise into hell. Why is that? Well, maybe because it'd be kind of hard to be rejoicing forever, looking at your loved ones burning in hell fire forever. That'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? The Bible says one day, in the end, when all this is said and done, that God's going to wipe away all tears. In order to do that, He must allow us to forget. In order for our tears to be forever gone, we must not be able to see into this eternal place of torment. Else we would have no joy in heaven. So He says, Lazarus cannot come. Then he says, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Oh yes, would come. Yes, they would. If anyone who is in hell could get out of hell, oh, they would do it. Let me tell you. There's nobody in hell today wishing they would be in hell. There's nobody in hell today glad that they're there. There's nobody in hell today having a party with all their friends. They're not celebrating anything that they missed in this life. Those who are in hell are tormented in this flame. They're not out there having a good time. And you better believe if there was a back door anywhere, they would find it and go out. They wish they could get out of that place. But Abraham says, no. Those who end up in hell cannot leave. 
It's an eternal settlement. Notice what the Bible says about this place called hell. If you want to hold your place in Luke 16 and turn to the book of Revelation. Keep in mind that hell, as we said last week, hell is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for you and me. But when people reject the only begotten Son of God, there's nowhere else to go. And they end up there. Notice Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. The Bible says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up. How long? Forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, this is talking about the beast and the false prophet. It's talking about the mark of the beast. These are end time things. But, but what we need to see from this passage is this. All those who end up in hell will be tormented forever and ever, it says. They're not having a party. They're tormented forever and ever. Not for a little while until their sins are dissolved. Forever and ever, it says. Forever and ever. That's terrible. This is why nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody in their right mind who understands the Bible would want to go to hell. It also tells us that those of us who know Christ as our Savior... Those who believe the Bible is true, we ought to be trying to tell everybody we can about this place. Man, look, you do not want to go there. This is not a place you want to go. Notice in Revelation chapter 20. Again, the Bible talks about this place called hell. In Revelation chapter 20, by the way, notice verse 1. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit. That's why we say uh, hell is a bottomless place. It's a place where you, you have this constant sensation of falling, never landing. Right? That's where we get that from. There are verses like that. Look at verse 10. It says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Last week, we looked at many verses like that. Mark chapter 9, I think there's three verses in Mark chapter 9 that basically tell us the same thing. Forever and ever, those who end up in hell cannot leave. Hell is not a pit stop. It's not temporary. It's not a short period of time until your sins are dissolved. Hell is an eternal destination. It's a place where we don't want anybody to go. Hey, I'm going to tell you what, there's some, there's, some pretty, <laughs> there's some pretty evil people in the world. And there's only been a few in our history that we would even be okay with going to hell. And I'm thinking, you know, serial killers and people like that, right? The Adolf Hitlers of the world, maybe. Okay, we can kind of see them going to hell. But you've got to understand, hell will be the stop, not just for them, but for anyone who rejects God's Son and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ died to provide. There is no other way to heaven. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he said. He understood that God's plan of redemption included the forgiveness of sins, and there's no other way for you to have that without Jesus 
You can't, get your, you can't forgive your own sins. And good deeds don't erase bad ones, so you can't just do something good to erase something bad you did. It doesn't work like that. Do you really think that God in heaven would have allowed Jesus Christ to die such a brutal death if there was any other way? Certainly, if there was another way, he would have chosen that. But instead, he watched his own son die on the cross, agonizing over a brutal death that he didn't deserve to win forgiveness for us because there was no other way for you and I to get forgiveness of sins but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so God allowed Jesus to fulfill his plan, providing salvation for us so that we would not end up in this place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Abraham teaches us those who are in hell cannot leave. But notice what he also says in verse 26. Between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass to us, or excuse me, from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So it goes both ways. Abraham says you guys can't leave, nor can someone who's in heaven go to you. Number two, he teaches us those who end up in heaven cannot leave either. Notice what he says. He mentions them first because he knows the heart of Lazarus and others who are there. Would Lazarus be willing to reach over into hellfire and grab this man? Absolutely he would. But he says he cannot. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. You know, those who are in heaven, they can't reach over in hell and save you. You know, that, that makes me realize, you know, life is short. And God has given us the opportunity to do something in this life that we will never be able to do again. You know what that is? We only have one chance to do it. And you cannot do it when you get to heaven. And that is what we call winning souls. Turn with me to the book of Jude, that little one chapter book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, the book of Jude. Notice what the Bible says. Just one chapter, Jude, verse 23. Let's back up and catch verse 22. The Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear. What? Pulling them out of the fire. Pulling them. That's how you rescue people. You, you go grab them and pull them out. You don't, you don't go and say, may I rescue you? Would you like to be rescued? No. You, you, you go lay hands on them and snatch them. Right? That's what we have to do. Now, in reality, it is a little different than that because we're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with souls and people who need to make a decision Accepting Christ has to be voluntary. It has to be initiated by the will. It's a choice and a decision that every person has to make. So in, because of that, it would be like going into the fire and saying, will you come with me? I want to escort you to safety. Hey, I want to show you the way out. 
right? Would you like to escape this? Come with me. Although that's not how we would really save someone from fire. We're kind of limited when it comes to rescuing people from hell because they have to want to be saved. God's not in the business of forcing anybody to get to heaven. He could do that. See, God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody, right? Okay, boom. He could just say, okay, everybody's forgiven. You're all coming to heaven. But he doesn't. God is not going to force himself on you or them. They have to choose that. So this life, this world, this place, this is the only place where we have opportunity to pull people out of hell's fire, to show them the gospel and help them come to Christ and be saved before it's everlasting too late. It's the only time we have opportunity to do this. Abraham said they can't do it. There'll be no soul winning in heaven. By the way, on this earth, in this time, in this life, guess what? There's one thing here that will not be in eternity. And that is unbelievers. <laughs> hey, do you know there are no unbelievers in eternity? Because those in, who are in heaven, they're in heaven because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They allowed him to come in and save them. They, they obtained forgiveness of sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? What we call the gospel. They're saved. And in hell, guess what? There's no unbelievers in hell either. Not anymore. They know it's real now. But it's too late. The only place you'll find unbelievers is walking this earth. Those who are determined that they're not going to believe it until they see it. There's no faith in that picture. They'll not be saved if they continue in that. Abraham taught us those who end up in hell cannot leave. He also taught us those who are in heaven cannot reach over into hell and pull anyone out. What does that mean? It means heaven or hell. Once you get where you're going, you're staying there. That's it. Well, what did the rich man do? He said, okay. Okay. If you can't come here, would you send him back to my father's house? Right? Then he said in verse 27, I pray thee therefore, Father, that I would have sent in my father's house, for I have five brethren. Let him go testify to them. Let him preach the gospel to them so that they won't come to this place of torment also. But in verse 29, Abraham testified again, and he said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Remember last week we said Moses and the prophets, that was a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. Moses would have been the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets would have been the rest of the Old Testament. That's all they had in those days. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so basically what Abraham was saying was, let them hear the preaching of the Word of God, and they can get saved. They have a solution. They have an answer. They have the life buoy that's been thrown out to them. Let them take hold to it. And he said, oh, no, no, no. But listen, if somebody went back from the dead, surely they would repent. But Abraham said, in verse 31, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. 
though one rose from the dead. So this is what Abraham said. If the lost will not by faith receive the gospel from those who preach it, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Did somebody rise from the dead, folks? I think so. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. I remember the first time I read that scripture, Brother Brennan, I thought, man, I don't know. It seems like I would believe it, right? But the Bible tells us that there is one who went before us, who died and was buried and he rose again. In Matthew 27, look at verse 62. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Remember, Pilate's the one that gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. In verse 63, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver... Hey, they're talking about Jesus. They're calling him a deceiver. And they said that he said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Oh, and we thought they didn't understand his message. Hmm. I think they understood a little more than they let on. Verse 64... Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. Notice that word watch. That word watch was like a troop of soldiers. Right? And he said, Okay, you take so many. And you go and secure the tomb. Well, what happened? Well, that was they, they were covering their tracks. They didn't want word to get out that Jesus had miraculously risen from the dead. Now, they didn't believe he could rise from the dead. They thought the disciples would come steal his body and just say that he arose. Well, he actually did even with all those soldiers around him. Look at what happened in the next chapter, chapter 28, verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. They're talking about how, how Jesus rose from the dead and how the angel appeared and all of that. The stone was rolled away. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they, the elders, gave large money unto the soldiers saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Now how are you going to persuade their boss not to get on to them for sleeping on the job, or, or at least they're supposed to say they were? We want you to say that you were asleep and the disciples took the body. Well, by the way, did you know that a soldier who slept on the job, that was the death penalty. They were risking their lives to tell this story, but they were given a large sum of money to tell a lie. So they did. And the elders said, if, when your boss hears this, don't worry, we'll take care of them. So what do you think they did for them? They gave them large sums of money also. And verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were taught. And the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. What saying? The disciples came in and stole the body. Are you kidding me? You have all these soldiers laying around the tomb. You're telling me that 11 disciples, fishermen, fishermen snuck in the soldier camp 
and they broke open the, the stone that would have taken 20 men to move. And they did that without waking anybody up. And they stole the body. Really? You believe that? Come on. I don't think anybody in their day believed that. We don't believe that 11 fishermen are bigger, smarter, or stronger than all these soldiers. And can you imagine if a soldier had awakened? Man, they have, they're trained professional fighters. They have swords. They have spears. They have shields. What do the fishermen have? A cane pole? <laughs> On guard. I mean, how are they? Think about that. It's so unlikely. If we lived in that day and time, we would not believe that story. Nor did most of the people. But because they were paid off, the lie prevailed. It, it, it lived. And they said Jesus stole the body. But you know what? People choose what they want to believe. Isn't that right? And even today, people are going to have to choose. What are you going to do about Jesus? Do you believe he is who he said he was? Do you believe he did what he said he did? To come and seek and to save that which was lost, that he died so that the world might be saved, that he gave himself as the offering for sin, God with us. Do you believe that he was more than a man, truly God in the flesh, who gave his life for ours, so that we might be made the righteousness of God? He took upon the sin of the world to himself. That's who Jesus is. We call the gospel the good news. And it is. It's good news to us who are sinners and who are lost. It tells us that we have hope in Jesus Christ and we can be saved. Paul defined the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. If you read verses 1 through 4, he defined the gospel for us clearly so that it is without debate. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not the ministering to the poor. It's not the feeding of the hungry, right? Or, or the, the treating the sick. Although all of those things can be done and should be done. Those may supplement the gospel, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to save sinners. And then that leaves us making a decision. Look what they said about the one who did rise from the dead. The rich man said, hey, if somebody, rose, if somebody got up from the, from, from the grave, they would believe. Really? Jesus got up from the grave. So are they going to believe? Well, that, that's the challenge. And every person that receives the gospel is challenged with that decision. What will they do with Jesus? What are they going to believe about him? Because that is going to determine where they spend eternity. That's why Jesus asked the disciples one day. He was teaching them. They were following him. And he turned around one day and said, Hey guys, who do men say that I am? And then he said, Who do you say that I am? That really is the question. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? through the preaching of his word? Because Abraham testified to this rich man. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear this. And you know, that's all you and I have. We have the word of God. Will we believe? 
people are saved at the presentation of the truth of God's word. And their salvation is based on whether or not they receive it. Wow, that's powerful. So what was Abraham saying? There's no need. There's no need for Lazarus to come with the water. And there's no need for Lazarus to go back to your hometown. They have preachers preaching the gospel. And there's already been someone rise from the dead. So it boils down to this. It boils down to what do you believe about Jesus? Have you received him as your savior or have you not? Let me show you one last passage of scripture as we close. Look at 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, look at verse 11. Let's start out with verse 11, which is talking about the Bible. It says this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. What's the record? The book you hold in your lap. The Bible is our record. Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, God was so concerned. John said if everything was written that could be written, the world itself couldn't hold all the books. If there's that much truth, think about it then why did God only give us one, one book? Because he said, these things have I written that you may know. God gave us enough truth so that we could know that heaven is our home, that we could be saved through Jesus Christ and have forgiveness of sins, that we could be born into the family of God, and have a place with Him in eternity. Man, isn't that great? And you know what? That's the message that we need to be sharing with others. I believe Lazarus shared it with the rich man. Say, why do you think so? I think that's why the rich man asked for him. Hey, would you send Lazarus? Because he knew Lazarus cared about him. He knew Lazarus made an effort to reach him. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If any one of your friends or family members die and go to hell, don't you want them to know that you care about them? The only way they're going to know that is if you make the effort to tell them. Tell them again, tell them again, tell them again. Right? Let them know you love them and you care about them. Charles Spurgeon said, if anybody goes to hell, man, they need, to, they need to meet a lot of hurdles on the way. Our love and our prayers and our invitations, man, they need, to, they need to have a lot of those stopping them on the path to hell. And he's right. First of all, do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Man, that's the first thing you've got to know. And if the answer is yes, then look around 
Is there anybody that you know who needs to know that? Then tell them how. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not sure heaven will be your home, then in just a moment we're going to have folks come and pray. You come too and say, Preacher, I want to know how I'm going to heaven. We'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how. So you can leave here today just like John said, knowing that heaven is your home. That's the way to be. Abraham, thank you for that testimony because we learn a lot about eternity listening to this story that Jesus taught us. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for the truth of your word, how that it just sheds light and shines light on these subjects that we wouldn't have knowledge of any other way. The truth of your word is really revelation to us because it reveals things to us that we would not know otherwise. And so we thank you, Lord, for giving us the truth. Thank you for telling this story that we might know some things about eternity and how we can have it settled through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we just ask you to have your way in this invitation. Speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen.